All right, everybody, welcome back to our next edition of the Morning Report on the Neurology Exam Review Podcast from the Yale School of Medicine and the Yale Neurology Program. So again, my name is Dr. Jeff Dewey. I'm one of the neurologists at Yale and the Associate Program Director. Today, we're joined by Dr. Joachim Baring, who's one of our senior neurologists on the faculty here. We also have our usual cast of residents, Dr. Chris Trainer, who's a PGY-4, and Dr. Lindsay McAlpine, who's a PGY-3 in our program. And today, Lindsay has a case that she's going to share with us. So Dr. McAlpine, take it ahead whenever you're ready. This is a patient that I saw a couple months ago in the emergency room. He is a 26-year-old, otherwise healthy man who's coming in with a fourth episode of expressive aphasia and right-sided weakness. How did that uh, episode start? The most recent episode that he came in for that day, he'd been doing well. He had stayed up late. It was actually New Year's Day, and he hadn't had any alcohol or drugs. He just stayed up past midnight. He woke up at around 5 a.m. with headache, nausea, and vomiting. And then his wife woke up at 5 a.m. and found him in the bathroom on the floor in a pool of vomit. And he was complaining of right-sided weakness and having difficulty producing speech. Does he have full recollection of the event? No, he was confused throughout, his wife noted, and he kept vomiting for the next couple hours. And when his wife found him, was he with it? Was he able to talk to her or was he uh, unconscious? He was dazed and he recognized her, but couldn't get out the right words. He was having trouble with his speech. It was New Year's Day, so was he partying, drinking the night before? No, he he had stayed up past midnight to about 2 a.m., but he didn't use drink any alcohol or use any drugs the evening before. And other than uh, the dysphagia and the weakness and the headache uh, uh, when, when his wife found him, were there any other concerns? She said that she noticed that the right side of his face was twitching a little bit and that his right arm felt stiff, like she couldn't bend it and it was contracted up to his chest. That's when she called his parents over and the right-sided weakness continued to worsen where he wasn't able to walk at all. And he still had a very severe headache with light sensitivity and nausea. So they, they called EMS. And this was the fourth episode. Were the other three like this one? Yes. So the first one was about three weeks prior. It was less severe and shorter, but similar. He had a headache with nausea and vomiting and right-sided weakness, but he was not confused and didn't have such difficulty with his speech. He was sent home with a diagnosis of migraine with aura and then had another episode within one week. He was seen by neurology and scheduled for an MRI and an EEG, but it hadn't happened yet. And then he'd had headache with light sensitivity and vomiting every few days since his first episode. Okay. How about uh, memory, cognitive performance? Was that in between those episodes all normal? For the most part, yes. He did have intermittent episodes of expressive aphasia, uh, but that were less severe. So it was similar to what he was presenting with, but less severe. So he typically mm -hmm. at his job would interact with clients and his work was saying that his speech wasn't as fluent or coherent. Uh, and he was aware of it. He, he mm -hmm. felt 
like he couldn't get the right words out and wasn't speaking normally. His wife noticed it as well. All right. Uh, so he was brought to the emergency department. When you saw him in the emergency room, what was he like? He was on his way to recovery or uh, still quite altered? Yeah. So by the time that I saw him in the emergency room, he was alert and oriented to self-date location with significant prompting because he was still having severe expressive aphasia. He couldn't name or repeat for me. His comprehension was even impaired. When I would ask him for more history or a complex question, he wasn't sure. He would look at his wife and he would say nonsensical things. I would ask him a question and he would say, my whole face. Or I would ask him a question and then he would get out this, I don't know why I'm having trouble, was the most fluent thing he could say. And he would say it repetitively. He had trouble with cross-body commands. But then the rest of his exam was, was actually normal. I could you know, with significant prompting and kind of mirroring, he was able to do the whole exam and his weakness and sensory deficit was resolved. And face was symmetric at that point? Yeah, he had mild right facial droop. That was it. Reflexes? Uh, his reflexes were normal. Okay, was he able to walk at that point? We did not try to have him walk. He had no uh, problems with coordination, no dysmetria, no dysdidopokinesis? No. All right, let's uh, try to localize this first. What do you think? Four stereotypic episodes over the course of a month. Looks like all of them are characterized by some form of dysphagia. Uh, from what you're describing, probably both expressive and receptive features and uh, right-sided weakness. Yeah, so I mean, he has aphasia, which is obviously a cortical sign to the left hemisphere. Based on the exam that Lindsay gave, he has features of both expressive and receptive aphasia. So I don't know that we could definitively say left frontal versus left temporal or something that's more diffuse. Certainly he has frontal signs because he had some weakness, which is obviously pre-central gyrus. So I mean, the best I think we can do right now is that he had something that affected his like left frontal, possibly extending further back to the left temporal area. You know, otherwise he had no other cranial nerve signs. So I don't think this is something in the brainstem and it's certainly not something peripheral because we know we have a cortical sign in the aphasia. And so I think we really have to be up in the cerebral hemisphere. Okay. Was he able to repeat? No. And in terms of distribution of weakness, um, I remember that the face was clearly symmetric and uh, his right arm was almost like a tonic posture or spastic. Mm -hmm. uh, how about the leg? Do we know what uh, the leg looked like when he was found? The leg did not have any posturing. Does that help us at all, uh, Chris, in terms of localizing a little further uh, in the frontal, frontal temporal region this might be? Is this more parasagittal? Is it more lateral? Yeah, so it'd be definitely more lateral since the leg is more parasagittal. And so definitely laterally in that cortical strip, which would also make sense because that's closer to the area that you would expect for like Broca's area uh, in the frontal lobe since he has some language dysfunction. All right. I agree with that localization. In terms of differential diagnosis, what do you think in a 26-year-old sudden onset of um, four rather stereotypic episodes, what are you thinking about? Yeah, I mean, like clinically, the syndrome sounds most like a seizure, although certainly I think they considered migraine in the differential and obviously you'd have to consider stroke. Although I think the thing in his history that are least likely points to stroke is that they're stereotyped events in the sense that they're happening the same way over and over and that they resolve relatively quickly. Obviously, we all know TIAs can resolve quickly, but you know, for them to 
both resolve quickly and occur in the same pattern each time, I think would be very unlikely. So I think the question is in a 26 year old, although he's in the age group for seizure, new onset seizures in the setting of some sort of disorder, there's also a long differential for new onset seizures in a 26 year old, which I think is probably the most likely in this scenario. I agree. Yeah, it's localization related uh, epilepsy from what it seems. Now he could have a congenital structural lesion, uh, of course, but may not be uh, a primary epileptic syndrome may not be the first thing we would think about. Uh, and in a 26-year-old, what kind of structural lesions would you think about? He could have any number of congenital lesions. Um, you know, they can still present this late. So um, things like cortical heterotopias or cortical dysplasias can present in this age group. Certainly mass lesions can present. And although, again, younger people skew more towards infratentorial lesions, and this is supratentorial, but certainly uh, neoplasm, both metastatic and primary, is a possibility as well. Uh, infectious lesions could occur in this way too. You can have space-occupying lesions, abscesses, collections, things like toxo, other things. Again, we don't know anything about his Im immunologic history or whether he's an immun immunocompetent or immunosuppressed host. So those are some things I think we would definitely want to think about. Mm -hmm. Could this be vascular? Yeah, I mean, it certainly could be. You could think about things like uh, an AV fistula, a ruptured AV fistula. But again, that would be overlying the cortex or this eloquent area of cortex. You could think about things like vasculitis, but this is very focal. So I don't think that that's very likely since that would be much more like a global process. He could have some focal meningeal irritation, but again, those tend to be much more global. So I don't think that that's likely either. Good. Very good. Lindsay, anything about his past medical history that we should know to narrow down our differential diagnosis? Past medical history, he doesn't personally have anything else. He was otherwise healthy child, young adult, no issues. In terms of family history, he had two siblings who had a very rare metabolic disorder. They both passed away in infancy, and he, per genetic testing, was not uh, a carrier at all. Otherwise notable, he does have a family history of migraine. Very good. What did you do? What was the first test you ordered? Gimini came in with cortical signs, acute onset, as a stroke code, we went to a CTA. In the CTA, he was noted to have a left M2 stenosis, and there was concern for a vasculitic or RCVS process going on, and so he was, was taken for a diagnostic angiogram at that time. And the diagnostic angiogram was completely normal, didn't show the filling defect that was seen on the CTA, and that was reassuring. However, he was still experiencing persistent expressive and receptive aphasia, and so he was taken for a hyperacute MRI. So the CT angiogram uh, showed a single area of uh, stenosis, is that right? Was it a, was it a longitudinal segment uh, over maybe um, half an inch or something like that, or was it very focal? It was very focal. All right. And that was the only abnormality seen. No yeah. other uh, areas of large vessel narrowing or medium-sized vessel narrowing in the circle of Willis. It was a little subjective and hard to quantify, but the vascular attending and, and I both thought that we saw a general narrowing of all the vasculature on the left side. So there was just narrowness of all the vessels and looked like his right vascular hemisphere was more dominant. And so it looked asymmetric. And how many hours were between the CT angiogram and the formal angiogram? I mean, it was maybe 30 minutes. 
it was very close together. So we kind of disregarded the CT and, and took the diagnostic angiogram as the final word. Um, and you said uh, your next workup step was the uh, hyperacute MRI. What did that show? Nothing. It was normal. And at that point, his uh, examination had further normalized? Residual speech difficulties. You, you admitted him to the neurology service, and uh, what other uh, diagnostic steps did you take? So the next step we did was we did an EEG, an extended EEG, and also a lumbar puncture. What did the spinal fluid show? So his spinal fluid showed no xanthochromia, 16 red cells, and 334 nucleated cells in the first tube, 99% lymphocytes. In the tube four, there were four red cells and 387 nucleated cells, 94% lymphocyte. His glucose was 56, and the protein was 328. Any other parameters that you tested for? Uh, did you do an infectious panel at all in the first spinal tap? Uh, bacterial culture, fungal culture? Yes. Cryptococcus was negative. West Nile was negative. Enterovirus was negative. HSV and VZV were negative. CMV was negative. LCMV was negative. How about uh, oligoclonal banding and uh, IgG index? Oligoclonal banding was normal. IgG index was normal. And there was a flow cytometry that showed no evidence for monoclonal lymphoproliferative disease. Did you send a specimen to cytopathology? Yes, it showed hypercellular specimen consisting of lymphocytes, monocytes, and a few neutrophils. And uh, what did the EEG show? Dr. Baring, while she's looking that up, can you talk us through a little bit what you're thinking when you hear that kind of CSF profile? Sure. Uh, so markedly hypercellular specimen, a lymphocytic pleocytosis, no morphologic or flow cytometric abnormalities, no suggestion of clonality, a markedly elevated protein, and uh, a glucose that seems normal uh, unless... Uh, he at the time had a markedly elevated um, glucose in his serum, which I don't believe he did. I think uh, there's a couple of things that come to mind. Uh, the, the, the high protein uh, makes you think that uh, this is a disease process that's been smoldering for some time. Uh, the whole picture suggests aseptic meningitis, which is a fairly descriptive term. Aseptic meningitis has a, a variety of etiologies and uh, there's a few infectious causes. There's um, both viral and bacterial causes that give you this constellation of uh, lymphocytic pleocytosis. And there's autoimmune disorders that can manifest with uh, aseptic meningitis. And just to name a few, uh, Sjogren's disease, rheumatoid arthritis, and amongst the infectious causes of uh, aseptic meningitis, a couple of the viruses that were already mentioned, HSV2, uh, would be one of the uh, agents associated with this syndrome. Otherwise, designated as Mollerets meningitis, LCMV, uh, amongst bacterial agents, leptospirosis, brucellosis, Lyme disease. Those would be bacterial agents that come to mind uh, in the setting of a subacute aseptic meningitis. Enterovirus, I forgot to mention, amongst the viruses, which is probably the most common cause um, of aseptic meningitis. You know, when, when you see a hypercellular specimen like this uh, uh, and a high-protein uh, lymphoma is not completely off the table, although the clonality analyses were negative. In uh, neoplastic lymphoproliferation in the CSF, often the 
the clone is so underrepresented amongst a uh, overwhelming reactive infiltrate that they're hard to find even with rather sensitive methods like flow cytometry. So, so that is uh, still a possibility. Now, we expanded our differential a bit based on uh, angiographic manifestations, and we thought about uh, uh, reversible vasoconstriction syndrome. That would be hard to explain uh, the, the, the uh, elevated uh, protein level with, though. Those, those would be my thoughts uh, with respect to the CSF findings. Great. Thank you. Dr. McAlpine, do you want to tell us about the EEG? So the EEG showed uh, occasional lateralized rhythmic delta activity, LERDA, uh, in maximal in the left frontotemporal region, um, which suggested cortical excitability over the left hemisphere. And then there was also rare generalized rhythmic delta activity, uh, GERDA, with mild to moderate generalized slowing as well, which was suggestive of a diffuse um, process, but no seizures or periodic discharges. So Dr. Trainer, as our future epilepsy fellow, uh, what do you think when you hear that EEG report? Yeah, so I mean, I think the most notable feature of it is that he has left frontal temporal LERDA, which I think localizes perfectly with what we were talking about before, which is kind of this left frontal temporal localization. And as most people probably know, uh, lateralized rhythmic delta activity is considered epileptogenic. And so uh, you would actually treat people um, with an anti-seizure medication uh, for this finding. So I think um, it's interesting, but also he has some generalized findings as well, which I think goes along with what Dr. Baring was saying about more of this aseptic meningitis process um, that his CSF is indicating. Um, so I think he has findings that are suggestive of both a focal and a generalized process. And it's most likely the same thing, not two different things, but rather one thing that's just for whatever reason, affecting his left frontal temporal cortex a little bit more than the rest of his brain. Did he ultimately get a full comprehensive MRI with uh, a contrast enhancement? Yes, and it was also normal. So how do we put this together? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, Dr. Baring. I think really we have to consider this an aseptic meningitis with seizures. So I think you know treatment for him initially would have to include anti-seizure medications, but also an extensive LP and serologic workup to include a lot of the things in the differential that you mentioned. Um, but certainly we'd have to kind of weigh the risks versus benefits of that. Um, but given that he's, I, again, we haven't heard if his exam normalized, but he's still not back to baseline, um, but he's not having seizures. So that suggests that there's something still going on that's causing his symptoms that uh, we haven't fully addressed and that seizure medicine probably won't address either. Um, but I don't know that we're going to get a diagnosis in it immediately. We're going to have to kind of wait for a lot of this more specialized testing to come back. Um, and I certainly would send an epilepsy, an autoimmune encephalitis panel as well. Did we get those tests? Yeah. So his, his symptoms normalized over the next day. An autoimmune encephalitis panel, uh, an epilepsy panel was sent and all of it was negative. And his headache also resolved along with the speech difficulty. By that time, when we saw the cultures were negative, the viral studies were all negative, his systemic studies were all normal, he had no objective seizures or other problems. So once we ruled out um, all of the, the most dangerous pathology, then we were left with a syndrome called headache and neurological deficits with cerebrospinal fluid lymphocytosis, HANDLE for short. It's classically presents with a first acute onset migraine, nausea, vomiting with uh, significant focal neurological deficits and then 
you find the uh, lymphocytic pleocytosis and the CSF. There's frequently a viral prodrome and from the onset, patients can have the first episode and then multiple episodes for up to a number of months afterwards that's, that are very similar. Um, and so it's thought to be a post-infectious process. And the pathophysiology is similar to migraine is that there's a spreading wave of cortical depression. And so this patient fit that pretty well. Yeah, and the angiographic findings would be pointing in that direction too. There's a vasospastic component. How do you treat Handle? So you treat it similar to migraine. So he was started on verapamil and followed up in our headache clinic. At one point, he did get a course of steroids to help break his headache before he got to us, which didn't help. So we didn't repeat steroids and there was no other autoimmune condition that we would be treating. So mainly it's migraine prevention and waiting mm. for it to resolve. What's the natural, what do you know about the natural course of Handel? Is it uh, relapsing? Is it episodic? Does it occur in clusters? Having this again, uh, in, uh, if it comes in clusters, how long do those clusters last? I think from what I was reading, 25% are monophasic and 75% are episodic. And typically it's triggered, they think, by some infectious trigger. And so the patients have these episodes for up to a year after the first one. And then it slowly will typically resolve. And in terms of, uh, is it a, a heterogeneous disorder in terms of pathogenesis? Are there uh, yes. cases where the infectious agent was actually identified and other cases where there may be a, a suggestion of uh, some familial predisposition? Uh, does this overlap at all syndromic, syndromically with a familial hemiplegic migraine? It does overlap clinically, but th there's no identified gene that's associated with this. Uh, have you followed him in clinic? So I looked at his last clinic note and he was, he had a second admission with similar symptoms. And three days after that admission, he became, he felt back to his normal self. And as of this last month, he's uh, back to normal. And uh, he did not get treated with TPA at any point of this. Uh, no. Yeah. Nope. Yeah, that's certainly the first time uh, around uh, that could have easily happened to him. Definitely one of the four times he went to the hospital and he did not get TPA any of the times. Very good. Great case. Yeah. That was a great case. Thanks everybody for your participation. Dr. Thank Baring, you. thanks for joining us. We hope to have you back. My pleasure. All right. And we'll see you for the next episode. Thank you. Thanks everyone.